Welcome back to DC Cinematic Minute, the daily podcast where we analyze Zack Snyder's Justice League by each individual minute. My name is Nathan. You can find me on all social media at NoClutchNate. And my name is Mark. You can find me on all social media at Mark Meadows. And today we're talking about minute number 39 of Zack Snyder's Justice League. And this minute is going to start out with Steppenwolf uh, coming to the realization that he'll be pleased by uh, the work that he's doing here on Earth, you know. Pleased mm-hmm. by whom? We have no idea. I wonder uh, who. I mean, we got a pretty good idea, but... Uh, a little bit. A little bit. Um, the minute is going to end with Batman and Alfred kind of uh, discussing just what what the hey they've been doing all this time. You know, searching for the heroes, trying to make amends with Superman and his death, and all, yada, yada, yada. It's a good plain talk minute. Yeah. Let's get into it. Um, this very first part, this this thing with Steppenwolf talking about, oh, you know, he will be pleased. He will see my worth again. Um, this is already, I mean, obviously it's exposition about Darkseid. This is like everyone coming into the movie at this point with all the marketing and just word of mouth about the Snyder cut and everything like that. People knowing that Darkseid was supposed to be in this movie and then... We really got to know Ray Porter, and then Ray Porter's name was a highlight in this movie going into it, knowing that, okay, we are going to see Darkseid, we're going to hear about him, we're going to find out all this cool stuff. So going into the movie and seeing a scene like this, it's like, oh, okay, so we're getting ready to see him. We've already seen what he looks like in trailers and stuff, so he was pretty much the biggest Easter egg in this entire movie, people going into to the movie, um, aside from seeing how great Ray Fisher's performance was as Cyborg, the other, like, in my opinion, the next best thing was, okay, we get to see Darkseid. We get to see what's going on. We get to see how this leads into the other movie. And this part right here where, you know, Steppenwolf is giving the exposition of Darkseid, referring to him as he, um, not only creates, like, suspense of of the reveal of Darkseid, but also treats Darkseid as kind of like this... um, ultimate devil type character by just saying the words he like a capital h kind ultimate of ultimate devil now yeah do you remember that guy from uh the powerpuff girls guy i don't know if he was a guy oh him that character yeah right yeah i guess he's a guy his name is him i think he was uh, i guess you got nb non-binary type character non- non-binary uh beelzebub yeah type thing the claws yeah weird claws great character honestly yeah fantastic character I've heard some um, some things. Ultimate about, devil. That's the ultimate devil. Yeah, I, I've heard some things about like so we all kind of enjoyed that character, him, and then I heard there was this thing about I, I forget what the actual term is, but it's this idea that if you're going to make a bad character like a like an evil character, that a lot of times they would make those evil characters like gay or homosexual or something like that because they the the producers or whoever's making the content is against homosexuality and so that's why a lot of times like you see like flamboyant evil characters at that time because it was like not a good thing and so i thought that was really weird because us growing up with it a lot of our culture like enjoys those characters and we we do actually gravitate towards some of those characters um, and there's so many other ones that have passed my mind, but I remember that one being one of the, 
the biggest examples was him from Powerpuff Girls. But anyways, I digress. Um, what was what I was going to say about this is it's really interesting because what he says here, just like alluding to Darkseid, just by saying he will see my worth again, not saying Darkseid, not saying anything else, not giving us a full rundown of, the, of his um, nephew just yet. This is already more than what we got in the other in the other version where uh, the only time he's he makes any other mention to someone else is by saying for dark side. But only comic book fans and people who are really into the DC comics already would understand what that reference means. And um, it doesn't it doesn't really help because there's a lot of people going into that Justice League movie for the first time already like one foot out the door because of the reception for Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice and Man of Steel. So they're already not as invested as much. And then you get this whole movie um, where the characters are underdeveloped. You don't really care for Cyborg or Flash or Aquaman. And then Steppenwolf is extremely boring. And then he drops this for Darkseid. It's like, don't even care. If, if anything, you might think he's just saying for dark side as in like the dark side of just of, bad. Yeah, just for bad things. Just you know, I'm the I'm the bad guy. Yeah, for I'm doing other this bad for people, <laughs> for <laughs> other bad people, for evil sake. Um, Villains, yeah. <laughs> there are dozens of us, so it's like uh, yeah. They it, know there's villains and they know themselves, and like there's a whole group of them. That's just great. It's like, come on, we're bad people. Let's do bad things. <laughs> That's just so funny, right? Just get yeah. a group of them. Come on. But this also sets us up for like already starting to sympathize with Steppenwolf as well. And just like just these few lines that Chris Terrio wrote, it like it already deal details so much about his mythos more than the other movie did. I mean, not yeah. only do we establish Darkseid, or that there is a higher power above Steppenwolf, a darker threat. Um, but also that, like, to see his worth again, like, oh, what's going on there? You okay, yeah, bud? There's something, <laughs> yeah, there's something that definitely happened um, that it alludes to, uh, you know, past past mistakes or, or what have you. Um, I'm also thinking that, like, somebody just now viewing this movie doesn't really know anything about Apocalypse or anything of the sort. And then he does, you know, the whole he'll be pleased with my work yada 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 um and then the next person we see that he's talking to is Desaad. so like it's pretty cool thinking that like he mentions this higher being than himself a more powerful being that you can infer by what he's saying yeah more menacing more evil than you know what could possibly be more evil than this spiky alien coming down and and stealing the mother box from the amazons and and you know destroying or just yeah yeah. anyway um the fact that like there's two other people that we see and like the confusion still could lie with like oh maybe he was referencing to sod you know yeah. oh maybe he was referencing the other creepy cloaked hooded guy because that guy looks pretty fierce you know when we see him later that guy looks pretty scary he could be a he could be a boss fight or something um and I think that's all that's that's proven because I was getting text messages from people who I don't normally talk to and they just knew that, you know, I know DC Comics and do this show and all this stuff when they were texting me when, you know, the first weekend watching this. 
and uh, multiple texts of, hey, who is the cl- who is the the guy in the hood? Hey, who is the stone talking guy? Who is, you know, <laughs> who is who is Steppenwolf talking to? And me trying to like explain like, oh, that's cool. That's decide. Let me the fact that like you are questioning. Oh wait, who's that? Makes you understand that like there's someone else, and then there's dark side. You know, yeah. Steppenwolf someone else more threatening and then dark side even more threatening than all of them it's just like this chain of hierarchy that is already building within two lines of dialogue that just and, transfers and, and and you know travels through the entire movie it, it it gives you that kind of in the back of your mind like something else is coming you know there, there's a bigger there's a bigger fight here yeah. um you know and which which we do see and it does pay off it didn't in 2017 man was that a bummer? Yeah. When realizing, like, oh, it's just him? Oh, he's, it's just Steppenwolf doing Steppenwolf? Okay, all right. There are so many times watching that movie and seeing it for the first time in theaters going, like, oh, okay, here comes, like, you know, e- even if, if even if the movie catered to, like, the Marvel formula, if people want to call it that, um, or just a totally different tone, even if it wanted to go that route, you, as a as a comic book movie, a lot of people are expecting those easter egg drops that tease the next film like teasing the sequels like sure that might be a hollywood uh marketing ploy but the fans actually do love that they do want to see those type of things happen and this movie has its fair share of that stuff as well and so did batman v superman dawn of justice um not seeing dark side at least at the very end of the movie was like a huge misfire. It's like, you're not going to tease anything. It's like, nah, but we did have uh, Henry Cavill and Ezra Miller do this Flash Superman race. You guys wanted that, right? It's like, no, I didn't want that. What year do you think this is? It's like, I never (laughs) wanted, no one's ever asking for that. When did that, when, it's like, uh, no. (laughs) And not out of context either. I mean, if you guys want to like do that somehow when the characters know each other and like in a later version of the movie or later sequels or something like that or flash's own solo film which still have yet to see um like then we can go go and do stuff like that but tease the next movie tell us where we're going next like what's going on with this cinematic universe that you guys supposedly wanted so it's very interesting but the decide the thing it does work very well multiple levels because uh you know it does break that trope of speaking to the emperor and then you're expecting the emperor and you might think it's Desaad if you don't know anything about the DC Comics uh, fourth world, but that that just makes it even better when Darkseid actually does show yeah. up and yeah. then also just makes Desaad important. Like, Because normally you might be like, oh, well, he's you know the hand to Darkseid, but this makes him more important because you're like, no, nah, you got to speak to me first before you speak to Darkseid. Like, yeah. I'm I'm running the operation. And he was supposed to run the operation in the sequel for Justice League 2. So um, just a really interesting character, making him really important um, and also making these characters have their own backstory so that when we see Steppenwolf in this movie, we understand so much more about his motivation and stuff like that. It's just a really, really, really good way of writing your villains. Um, moving on to the next scene, this is going to be the rest of this minute, but it's the um, the rest of this uh, 45 seconds is uh, Bruce and Alfred on that giant 
Airbus that we spoke about almost like 20 minutes ago. Mm-hmm. Bat and, Force One. Yeah, Bat Force One. Uh, this is going to start with that Gillette Razor hand shot, which if you don't know already and you can guess, I'm sure you you've, you are probably right. But yes, that is Zack Snyder's hand because he loves doing those hand shots. And he's de- he did the other one in uh, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, where Bruce Wayne picks up the phone after copying Anatoly Kenyazev's phone. And that was Zack's hand as well. And so this is Zack's hand in this shot as well. He said in an interview that he loves doing these shots because he he just has like the right vision for how he wants it to happen. And he just likes like if a director's going to be in the movie, he likes to do these things. So it's just it's a good signature, honestly. If it's yeah. I mean Quentin Tarantino's got his feet, Zack Snyder's got his hands. Well, it's not Quentin Tarantino's feet, but you know it's the well, yeah, the, okay, but it's like it's just feet. like the little the little signatures of uh, yeah, yeah. This no, is this my is movie. great. Uh, this was I expected this going into this movie. This is one of the things I was looking for, like on my checklist. Like, okay, there's got to be a Zack Snyder like hand shot somewhere, um, and then I'm expecting that in Army of the Dead as well. When we go see that, like I'm expecting a hand shot somewhere, so I'm gonna be mm-hmm. looking for that as so well. So you can run home and add it to Wiki Hands. Yeah, so I can put it on Twitter and hopefully get like three likes because that would be my dream. You You're know? selling yourself pretty small there, man. Three <laughs> likes on three a Zack likes. Snyder hand shot? That's Should at I go least for four. Dude, Maybe. let's try four. M- more like uh, 2.4,000? Nah, that's not. That's crazy talk, all right, man. All right, all right. You, we'll, let the, we'll let the ratio <laughs> talk, huh? Yeah. Um, but uh, I don't. I don't, off the top of my head, I can't tell you some of the other uh, hand shots in Zack Snyder films, but I'm hoping someone can actually um, pull those together because I know there's more than one. It's not just Dawn of Justice. I think there's another one for sure. I just can't remember exactly where. Um, I kind of want to say there's one in Sucker Punch, but I could be wrong. And um, there's a shot where uh, John Hamm's character's hands are, I think. The lobotomy? Yeah, that may be. That may be it. Yeah. Every time I watch that movie and I see John Hamm as that lobotomist, I'm like, oh, like, look, it's, it's John Hamm. <laughs> um, yeah, so this Gillette Razor thing, there's, uh, they are also a sponsor for this movie. They were a sponsor in the this, this whole production of this movie. That's why they're also in the, the other version. And they totally reshot it, uh, Bruce Wayne doing this whole shaving bit. And that's because Gillette here is a product placement sponsor for the movie they helped fund a little bit of it and that's why there was a lot of gillette marketing in stores like if you saw gillette razor blades there was a lot of bundles with justice league marketing Mm -hmm. printed on there and they even did uh like a bundle set which it had six blades blade handles and there was like different uh the whole justice league each had like a themed gillette handle um Kind of like similar to like a Pez dispenser bundle yeah, case. Yeah, it looked yeah, just it, like that. And uh, yeah, so that's why we have this scene here. But I, I wonder if also like symbolic, like symbolism, the symbology. Yeah, I was going to say the symbology. <laughs> yeah. the, the symbology of, of Bruce shaving here. I wonder if that means anything like in the context of you know how we saw Bruce Wayne in Dawn of Justice and he's kind of gritty and on the wrong path and then here it's more like I'm clean shaven I'm I know he had a beard at the at the beginning of this movie because he was out 
in uh, Iceland hunting mm-hmm. down the Aquaman. But him shaving, I wonder if it's kind of like sim- symbolizing like his uh, his growth, his progression into being a cleaner person, like a lighter person, like soul soulfully. You know what I mean? I just I know felt what you like mean. he's just cleaning himself up. He's he's taking care of himself yeah. more so now than he was, you know, six weeks ago. Exactly. Um, um, and he even says here, like, uh, where he was saying, any any uh, any luck finding that kid from the liquor store? And then Alfred says, like, possibly. And so Bruce says, if I had a dollar for every possibly, and then Alfred says, you'd be more insufferable, mm-hmm. which is pretty good when you have that context from Dawn of Justice, which is, in that movie, he said, if there's a 1% chance with absolute certainty. We had to act on it with absolute certainty, right? Something along yeah. those lines. That's I I like that because this part where he's saying if I had a dollar for every possibly is the mentality that this character has always been written with in these last two movies. So it's very interesting that Alfred says you'd be more insufferable because he's like I've I've dealt with you I dealt, I dealt with you last time, 6 weeks ago dealing with this. So Batman's always got those those contingencies of like, oh, every chance I get, I just I feel the need to act on it, kind of thing. So I, I yeah. kind of like that that line. Um, when I first heard this line, it was kind of uh, tongue in cheek to me. Mm-hmm. Um, it just seemed like too lame for something for the Bruce Wayne character to say, knowing full well his wealth and knowing full well that that is that man is smart. And that's not a, like, uh, clever or snarky comeback. Do you know what I mean? It just seems like he knows what he knows exactly what he's saying. If I had a dollar for every possibility. One, I don't know if, like, one percenters even use that phrase. Two, it just seems ingenuous. Well, the rich gotta stay rich, right? Yes, so for, I understand. If I had a dollar for every that. possibly, it's to it'd be uh, it's say rich, right? That's the plan. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I think I think it this just might always just be... it just rubs me wrong. Um, and and I don't have I'm, I don't hate it. It's just like I I want to say like you couldn't punch that up just like a little bit. <laughs> well, I I think like you know you you yourself Nate and and me myself I think you and I have an idea of of a of a preference for how we would write Batman ourselves. Okay. And the the great thing about Ben Affleck pay, playing Batman in this uh cinematic universe has always been the fact that it feels very Ben Affleck-y. And so that's his charisma is enough to to win over a lot of people for for these movies. Even people who didn't really like what Batman was doing in Dawn of Justice, people would obviously say like the best part of the movie is Ben Affleck as Batman. And it's always because like, no matter what, there's still that Boston actor in this scene. And you still get a lot of Ben Affleck's just natural charisma. And I think scenes like this where it's like, okay, maybe that's not how I would write Batman, but I can see the the mass appeal for Ben Affleck and it's scenes like this where you're like okay I'm here to see Ben Affleck talk because if this was Ben Affleck in any any other movie he would sound almost like this like almost like an ad lib 
kind of thing where he would say something like this. It seems a little ad. It just seems like not like enough was put into it. But I'm also taking it completely out of context because with that line of dialogue and it being these two characters, Batman and Alfred speaking to each other, mm-hmm. a 20 year working together as Batman and Alfred speaking to each other and knowing full well what we knew from Dawn of Justice and how they act and what their relationship is. I do enjoy it. And it's Alfred's line that makes me enjoy it more. It is the insufferable part. Yeah. Because that is the only response to that. Yeah. Like he sets you up. Like it, it feels like Batman Bruce is setting him up knowing that he's going to say that. Or maybe the writers care more about setting up Alfred for a joke. It's, Which is it, probably why, yeah, that's probably what it is. It's just like, all right, how do we set Alfred up to yeah. knock him out? Like, set him up so Alfred can just knock him down right there. So yeah, it's a lot make like... Him, make him walk into the joke. Um, when we're so watching, it seems like, um, like, The Nanny and seeing yeah, like how they yeah. write C.C. Babcock to set up Niles for every punchline. It's but like... like you see it coming. There's a cleverness in that, though. Multiple times per episode, only 22 yeah, minutes. Yeah, it's so clever. Well, they have to do it like, so often. But when they're writing Alfred here, they're like, "Okay, we're we're gonna set this up because we we love our Alfred." And hey, Jeremy Irons doing Alfred, it's fantastic. It's great, fantastic. Great delivery. It's fantastic. It just feels like the door was just left too wide open. <laughs> just walked for, right into that one for him to walk yeah it's just like it's too open i that's that's the only gripe that i have with this yeah. i enjoy it i'm not saying i don't like it it's just subpar <laughs> <laughs> yeah i do like it in the context of like you know talking about his possibilities as always i feel like that's like a, a dc thing as well they're always talking about different possibilities um but yeah that kid from the liquor store Talking about the talking about the Flash here, I do like this. He, he types on his little table, with his little keyboard built into the table. Um, Alfred does, and then the, the um, screens come down. They're talking about Ezra Miller's The Flash. So, call back to the last movie, which is always nice to do. Get people back on the same page, so we can introduce that character. Um, I like how he said. Well, I don't know if I like it, but it's interesting to me that he says. Uh, I found two metahumans, including Diana, which, did you really, did you really find this one, or did they find you, or did someone give you the information to find them, because it doesn't quite look like you found Diana, it looks like you barely understood what was going on around you, you could say you found out Superman, because you knew it was Clark Kent, somehow, uh, I think this is still the need for Batman to be in control of everything, I mean, I think it's more like I want to see it as more of a this is a downfall to this character. Like this is a a bad uh, attribute that he has of needing that that feeling of I did this. I brought the team together. It's all on me. And I think that's what we're trying to see because, you know, this whole thing. And and really, it's just this this conversation that Alfred and, and Batman have on this plane and into tomorrow's minute. It is trying to just get in the mind of Batman and yeah. trying to figure out why he feels like he needs to be bringing everybody together. He needs to be doing this. Him, him, him. I failed Superman. I won't fail him in death. You know, it, I brought the team together. It's all my thing. I'm looking for them. Uh, chill. 
I, like, chill, but don't chill. <laughs> chill. Chill. Don't chill because there's an alien here and there's an invasion, but chill with your ego, my guy. Yeah, he... Uh, in the last movie as well, I have to be the one to take down Superman. Yes, I exactly. had to be the one to do this. Like, I, I got to do everything. And then in this movie, it's the same thing. Even when he gets the team together, Alfred's like, you did it. You brought the team together. You, you yes. did the thing. But to go and do this, it's like, you know, he, that's the thing. Batman is always feeling the need that it's all on him. He has to do it. Even when he had sidekicks like Nightwing and Robin and Batgirl, he was like, it's my yeah. way. I have it's to do this. It's his thing. It's his yeah. shtick. So, I mean, I, I get it. And it's cool to to analyze dialogue back and forth like this. And it actually showing that. It actually shows you, like, attributes of this character. You know, it's like, this is just how, how you, I think, how you write Batman perfectly. You just have these two characters, Alfred and Batman, discussing hey why are you like this you know yeah it's jen that's because that's always the questions that we have when we're talking about batman why are you like this you dress up like a bat and jump off rooftops in the middle of the night why dude what happened and you know i just think it's great yeah i think it's it's fascinating how they can consistently write the character and this is why it's so weird that they break that in the other version where you're like I understand that this is a different Batman now. I understand that the the the, the t- like tonally the Batman that you wanted in this version of your movie is a lot like that other Batman from that other source of media, but now it's inconsistent because the people who who uh, conceived this version of Batman started with that foundation of how this Batman operates mentally, like his his whole id and ego and super ego, all those things. Like, it just seems like they've, the, the the mind of the writer is connected to this one. He's figured out how to write this character. And whether you like it or not, that just comes down to preference. But at least this one, when we look into this minute, or if I go back and watch Dawn of Justice, or if I skip ahead 60 minutes from now, if, if Ben Affleck's in it, there's a consistency of that character and why they do the things that they do. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's just fascinating watching that character. Um, but right here is where it kind of cuts off. This is where Alfred says, you know, are you doing this just because Lex Luthor is saying that there's a danger coming to, to threaten our world? Um, and it kind of cuts off there because, um, Batman's retort is in, is in the next minute. So unless you have anything else to add, Nate, I think, I think this is about it for, for this one. It's a really good minute, but uh, we're going to get into more of this stuff tomorrow. So any closing notes for you? Now let's get into Batman's retort. Good. Let's do it. All right. We're going to go ahead and wrap up for today. If you guys enjoyed everything you heard, you can find us on all social media at DCEU Minute and the Facebook group, the DC Cinematic Minute Listener Society. You can join us to talk about today's minute or any minutes you guys are catching up on. We'll catch you guys tomorrow for minute number 40 of Zack Snyder's Justice League.